welcome to Episode 70 of Foreign Correspondence, a podcast that brings you interviews with journalists around the world. I'm Jake Spring, a foreign correspondent with 11 years' experience in Brazil and China. For this episode, I spoke to Marco Hernandez, a graphics editor at The New York Times. For the first time on the podcast, Marco will take us inside the world of news graphics, variously called infographics, interactives, or visual stories. Graphics journalists have to know a bit of everything, from reporting to coding to graphic design to learning new things on the fly, like 3D modeling. The creativity that graphics journalists can use to tell a story nowadays is really incredible. And in this world of design, Marco is particularly gifted. You'd never know it having a casual conversation with him. He is, after all, a humble guy from coffee country in Costa Rica. And rather than touting his successes, he maintains a website dedicated to his failed projects. But despite all this, Marco was named the world's best designer by the Society of News Design this year. It's really a big deal and speaks to just how good he is. Marco will tell us how his career in news graphics took him from Costa Rica to Asia and now to New York, despite not really having a formal education in most of what he does. As he tells it, he learned it on the job along the way, and his skills were far more in demand than he ever could have imagined. The South China Morning Post in Hong Kong would recruit him directly out of Costa Rica, with Reuters and the New York Times later seeking him out directly. It's definitely a path worth considering if you're just starting out as a journalist. I knew Marco from his time at Reuters, with his work at the company earning him the Society of News Designers Award. One project in particular I did with him really impressed me when he was able to take my crude descriptions of how scientists take measurements in the Amazon rainforest and then turn it into a really beautiful illustration. Since audio alone on a podcast can't really do justice to visual journalism, you should check out the link in the podcast description to the portfolio of winning work. So now, time to talk graphics. Here's my conversation with Marco Hernandez, a graphics editor with The New York Times. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. This is this is really nice. To warm up a little bit, if you could just tell me a bit about where you are right now, both uh, the space around you and geographically where you are, and a little bit about what your past week of work has been like. Yeah, well, right now I'm based in, in New York City. Um, I'm in Queens now, as we're recording this. My past week of work has been a mix of uh, the war in Ukraine and uh, the hurricane in Florida. I've been doing a lot of maps very recently, even though I'm not a cartographer, I, I really enjoy doing that. And it's part of the requirement of the job. I have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So my day usually starts uh, collecting data, doing some more journalistic side of, of, of the things and evolves through the time to get some coding and then some design and some cartography and at the end I get this story, uh, visual story, uh, published by the end of the day. So it's still a lot of breaking news, like you have to get the stuff out pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, there, there, are, there are many things happening, like yesterday I had to do a piece of the bridge that the Ukrainians uh, blew up in Crimea. Uh, this is something that you need to be able to do in a single shift, but also on top of 
regular duties that you have to do, especially when you're doing like the weekend coverage. Sure. Cool. Yeah, we'll we'll talk a bit more about what you do now later in the show. First off, uh, if we can roll back the clock, a, a lot of people like to know how you got to where you are today. For a lot of students especially, it's hard to know how do you get to the New York Times? How do you go to a different country and be a journalist? That sort of thing. So if you could tell us a little bit about where you were from, like where you were born, a little bit about what growing up was like, and then if anything made you interested in all this stuff for journalism early on. Yeah. I was born in Costa Rica, right in the Central Valley. I grew up in the middle of coffee farms, surrounded by animals and just things, farming things. <laughs> All my family has been doing this for many generations. And when I went to, to college, I was looking for something artistic or something related to communication. As, as any other kid, I wasn't sure what to do. I didn't know very clear what should I need for some kind of profession. So I was wandering here and there, and uh, I got this idea that maybe design or arts will be good for me. So I started trying to test all this at the school, at the college. This was in uh, college in Costa Rica? Yeah, I, I, spent, I, I, I went off from Costa Rica like 10 years ago. But all, all my life, I spent, I spent in Costa Rica, most of the time in the high mountains and surrounded by coffee farm plantations. So the thing is, I was in my second year in college and I got a job offer uh, from a journalist. Uh, she was looking for someone to do design for magazines, help a little bit with the reporting. She was looking for someone very young just to get like basic things in the office in, in the office so I went there and, and I liked it I, I thought that it was a good place to learn not just design but also learn a little bit more of communication a little bit more journalism how to do interviews pictures how, how to use cameras how to learn a little bit more uh, beyond just art and this thing that was trying to look and understand where to move. So then I got this opportunity to move on and I joined La Nación. La Nación was the, or it is it's now the biggest news company in Costa Rica, the news, biggest newspaper. There I found a new team that I was, I never knew about it before. Uh, they call it infografia, which is infographics. So wait, your first job, was it like doing more like design for, for like print magazines, like print publications, that sort of thing? The owner was a journalist and she had a couple of companies running magazines and their websites. So sometimes I had to do a little bit of, of coding or sometimes I had to do pictures or design a magazine or something. It was just a small company. It wasn't a big company, but it was good for me because I was just in, in college. It was my second year and I, I was hungry to learn. Yeah, then I got this opportunity to move. I was still in college. I wasn't finished yet my my degree. Okay, wow. Uh, and I got this other opportunity. That was a couple of years later, like three, three, four years later. 
And uh, I thought I knew everything that I need to know. <laughs> but then I, I found myself in, in the department doing something that I didn't know anything about it. Because I always thought there will be either arts or either journalism or the technical world of coding or I, I was never told myself I can combine all these different disciplines into something else and uh, over there there was a big thing it was like I don't know well big by the standards of Costa Rica it was like I don't know seven eight people doing this in this department and and they were in charge of running visual stories, both for the print and the web. So I learned a lot about graphics there and start doing like more properly made stories with graphics, with interaction, with maps, with a little bit of everything. Yeah, basically an introduction to the stuff that I'm doing today. So that team, turned out to be very effective and we we got a lot of attention internationally not just in Costa Rica but also somewhere else oh wow for like what kind of stuff was getting recognition uh well we did a couple of like experiments with data and uh, illustration animation 3d stuff we it was a very diverse team so we have people very good doing illustrations people very good working on Twitter stuff, uh, I was more about doing coding. So the blend of different disciplines make us get a few words here and there, but also from the outside of the, of the country, people started sending us emails like, how are you doing this? Will you be interested in come over here and work for us in, in other places? And oh, wow. I spent there, uh, I've, I've, like six years working in Costa Rica. But do you remember like any of the, uh, an example of like a subject matter that, uh, like an example of a project or? Yeah, sure. We did a series of posters for national parks. That was very successful. We published one every two weeks or so. So there are a lot of national parks in, in Costa Rica. That was for the print. Uh, I was more involved into the online graphics. We did a big, a big interactive with um, the integration of the national stadium. Uh, that was involved like 3D stuff. Uh, we needed to go to do some research in the field. So we always, uh, one thing that I like about this is that we were always doing something different every day. Like one day you need to go, you need to go to the field to do some reporting, talk to the people, have taking pictures. Next day you may end up with an architect or a doctor uh, talking about something else, collecting information. Next day maybe you spend the day doing drawings. Following day just doing some coding. So it's always diverse and dynamic. So I really enjoyed this kind of thing. Sometimes I I spend long hours. I may enjoy it too much. Uh, I have to say that <laughs> my family has been great with me. <laughs> They've been patient with me. Sure. Uh, sometimes I just engage and forget about the, the rest of the world around me. <laughs> but yeah, 
Anyway, that's something that evolved slowly through time. Not because we were very good, but because I met a lot of good people on the way. Very skillful people with knowledge of particular things that you can learn of it. That helped me a lot. Making questions all the time. Because I was the guy interested, curious about everything. So making questions to everyone that I that I knew, even though it was just the first time I met them. How do you do this? How can you? You are an expert in this area. Can you tell me just? I, I don't I don't pretend to become an expert in particular fields. I'm more like a generalist. I can talk to people with different specialities and put together something basic, but uh, with the idea to communicate a, a different idea visually. That's, that's the point of this. So yeah, in La Nación, we got all this attention from the outside. And Sorry, just uh, curious, what, what, what year was this around? This was 2010, 2012, something around there, yeah. Okay, but still a time when a lot of people were still figuring out their online presence of course i mean that the, the strong the strong side of the team was always print print was like priority sometimes we have these projects that we plan for months for the print and then we have one two weeks to turn up into something for the online <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that that was something now is something inconceivable. You cannot work that way. And most of the times it's the other way around. You start thinking on something for the mobile and then grow up to bigger screens. And finally, if you have time for the print. But yeah, it's, it's amazing how these things have been evolving in just a few years. Uh, 10 years ago, it was a completely different story. And uh, yeah, so you were saying you were starting to get interest and emails from around the world. Uh, how, how did things go from there? One of the things that changed in my life was a conference in, in Spain. It used to happen every year there, but well, not anymore. The Malogia Rewards, uh, it was this conference when you can not just celebrate the awards, but also be there to talk to people and learn from the conference. So it was like a global hub of people working on graphics, visual storytellers everywhere. So I started doing the same thing that I was doing when I was just starting college, asking questions, meeting people, yeah, learning how to do this, learning a little bit of the trends of what was new, how, how the people were shifting their minds from print to web. I was feel myself more closer to the web publication rather than the print, even though I, I have a lot of work on print as well. But um, I think that part caught the attention of the people there that I met because then they came to me saying that they would like to have something like we were doing in, in Costa Rica in other newsrooms here and there. What was the name of the conference again, and does it does it still exist today? Malokiev. Uh No, it's, it's not anymore. I think after the COVID, he uh, have a hard time because this was this was held by the university in the north of Spain, Universidad de Navarra. Okay. 
and they canceled it like 2020 yeah it was been two years i don't know if this will come back or not but it was it was great because you have people from all over the world people from asia people from europe people from from america from everywhere and you got a couple days of conferences of leading people in the industry and you got also the awards happening at the end of the week it's a week of celebrations for visual journalism somehow workshops and everything i really hope they come back <laughs> but anyway that was something that made a big difference for me because i was like encapsulated in my own stuff in costa rica thinking only in this narrow view of the things that I could do there. And uh, of course, I was always looking for inspiration outside, looking in the big publications, seeing how they were evolving, how they were putting together these visual stories. Because I think it was back then, and even now, it's a lot of experimentation. Many, many are just looking for a new formula, something different from just regular articles, pictures or video. So having a team with skills that can go broader just in text is really appealing for anyone. The thing is you need combination of people with like a good editor you need someone good for checking all the structure of the, of the stories storytellers you need someone with more sensitivity for arts so anyway it's a mix uh, for success depends how diverse is the team and I was very very lucky that every time that I make a change for a new newsroom I found these people with amazing skills and they all blend together talking to the people even though if I have problems talking or communicating my talks there was always a way to put it on the paper I want to do this I want to do like just doubles of the story that I want to do that I think is where the image is stronger than just thousand words or the sayings that visually is easier to understand You may already notice that my third language is Spanish and I sometimes struggle with English <laughs> communicating. Maybe that's why I turn out the way of visuals <laughs> more than just talking. <laughs> sure. Anyway, so. No, but uh, you're, yeah, no, you're good. You're good. But back then, I'm guessing you, I mean, you'd spent your whole career in Costa Rica by that point. Yeah. So I'm guessing yeah. back then you didn't speak as well. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how to improve at all, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, you're good, uh, you're good. I'd say that uh, I got offers from the outside for the first time, and it was something that I was really looking for, but at the same time, I thought it would be kind of difficult because I had to take with me my family. If I had to plan to move to another country, even another continent, It will be start from scratch, not just for me, for my son, for my wife as well. And uh, gotcha. we spent yeah. all lives living in this small town in 
not even the, the main city of Costa Rica. We were just hiding. People, people used to joke on me saying that I'm not living there. You hide from everyone else over there in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> so, because isn't uh, La Nacion must be based in the big city, or did they have an office out there? Or no, 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 no. Yeah, uh, the offices are in, in the capital city, but. I spent just like a few months, almost a year, living in the city. I didn't like it, and I preferred to travel every day. That was a trip, two hours driving from my house to, to the newspaper every day, back and forward. Oh, wow. Sometimes I have to do the late shift, so that means that I was needed to get out of the newspaper around 1, 2 a.m., and yeah, I have like a couple times, like almost falling asleep while I was driving. Ugh. There was weekdays. Over the weekends, I was uh, teaching a class of information design at the university. Same where I was graduated. Yeah, it was a very tough time because I sleep very few hours every day and I had to drive a lot. So yeah, but I think that that was something that I had to do when I was younger. <laughs> Maybe I'm too old now to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, pay your dues, pay your dues, and now, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, where where do you get offers from, or where do you go next? So yeah, I was having for the first time these opportunities to move on my career, maybe try another country or do something else. So the first offers were from Hispanic publications here in, in the US, in Florida. But I made up a bunch of people in this conference in Spain. They were from Hong Kong, uh, working for an English newspaper over there, the South China Morning Post. They were doing amazing work in print and they want someone to do the same for the web, uh, someone to help to evolve the publication, move the formula, the success of the print to, to the web. And that was something that sound uh, amazing to me, not just because having the change help a publication to move from one environment to another one, but also because it was a challenge, a personal challenge, even culturally, moving from Costa Rica, being a, a farmer, basically, living in the mountains, to the other side of the world <laughs> in a very crowded city. So after considering for a while, I took the job there. I moved my family with me and we started living in Hong Kong for, I mean, we spent there like four, four years, I think, four years. I don't know, more, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I mean, I had no idea the recruitment was so international and, yeah, intense. Like that, you know, it sounds like people are recruiting across world borders, like, quite a lot. I think my, my ride from Costa Rica to New York has been crazy, enjoyable, and stressful, but... Uh, Great. I mean, I really 
find myself in gratitude with little people that I have met on the way. And I don't know if I don't know if this is something that is for everyone, uh, but if you're just a student, as I was in Costa Rica, we're not knowing what to do. You may want to try a bunch of different things, learn from people, and find make your own own way. And if it's not a a desk uh, with that kind of description of the world, you may be creating a new one. <laughs> and probably there's a lot of demand over there. I didn't know that there was such a demand of this graphics production all around, all around the world. I have had a job offers in, in Brazil, in, in Spain, in London, in China, in Japan. I mean, the team when I was in Hong Kong, it has a guy from Chile. There was another one from Costa Rica. We had a Spaniard over there. And uh, like some locals, of course. There was people from London and it was also from the US. So yeah, I, I think every single team on graphics is very difficult on big newsrooms that is like homogeneous is is always uh, diverse not just in skills but also with the backgrounds of the people like here and there i think that kind of mix makes things more interesting but also more dynamic because if you struggle with different like i don't know culture or ways of doing things you find a new way to do the things like a creative Uh, way of solving this problem and that makes by itself innovation and that's kind of the thing that this field is looking for is looking for fresh stuff new combinations how we can tell this in a way that maybe is not common is not everywhere something that we can have in exclusive uh, something that this media does only this opportunity to create that's simply amazing yeah yeah that's crazy that's incredible um yeah and hong kong is so like i don't know i i got my start in china and i remember you know going to shanghai like for the first time and just like mind-blowing like culture shock like so extremely different um i can only imagine it might have been the same for you yeah I was just a guy from, not even from the city, for modest city of San Jose, Costa Rica, but <laughs> moving to one of the biggest cities and busiest in, in the world. So my experience there uh, went like upside down. All, all the things that I told that I knew again, <laughs> shifted. And the people that I get in contact with were just about relief. So my former boss in Costa Rica left the company a little bit earlier than me to move to National Geographic. And when I get to Hong Kong, the guy that I talked to was exactly doing the same, was moving from Hong Kong to Washington to join National Geographic again. So I met them and I learned a lot from them but it was very short time that I don't have time to like <laughs> extract all the knowledge that I wanted to 
but it was good. I got these nice experiences with them. So the team in Hong Kong was changing, not just in their thinking of production, more web, less print, but also people getting new people. And I get there in a very good moment, I will say. They were expanding the team, but also giving like anything you need, anywhere you need to go to do a story, do it. We're gonna support you. Wow. And that was amazing. I never had that before coming from small news media to some kind of opulency of resources and everything you need, everything you, you can do. That was amazing. But also at the same time, added pressure on you. What if you try to do something and didn't turn out as well as you may, as you may want, or as you may think. But um, it turned out to be very good. I mean, I, I spent a couple of weeks in a trip in Beijing for doing a, a series of graphics for the web about the Palace Museum, the Forbidden City, we called it. Those articles were number one of reading for a long, long, long time in the South China Morning Post. Uh, they reached a million views just in a couple of days. And wow. those series involved a lot of reporting, a lot of talking and long hours of planning. That was something really nice that I had never got the opportunity to do. At the end, it was funny because we got these pages, crazy charts going up and up and up with views. And they came to me and say, well, the graphic looks great. The, the views are skyrocketing. Well done. Now we want something for the print. <laughs> Can you turn that into a page of the newspaper? Usually they give us the back page, the last page in the back of the, of the paper for you. Do whatever you want. Turn that story that you have there into a graphic in the back. I did about 20 of those pages, but maybe hundreds of different stories online and many of them doesn't even have a print version but it was so it was funny because it's still it was this like influence from the past like if, if you do it well online maybe it will go well as well in the print so let's make the reverse and, and turn this into paper as well but uh, the graphics were uh, really nice to do uh, condensing the, the stories is a challenge. You know, online you have this endless, well, you have may don't want to use endless space, but you have more room to put things and develop your story somehow. On print, you have this limited space and you need to figure out a way of putting all the stuff that you have online already edited, something that you make cut uh, things around and put it all in a sheet of paper. That thing also created opportunities like uh, exploring different topics that you have here and there, things that the rest of the teammates have been doing for the brain, but they may want to develop a little bit different for, for the online. 
So I was trying to push the boundaries of the people there, like saying, yeah, you did this already, now come with me, we can do something else, something crazy. What if we use animation? What if we do... Most of the times, I didn't know how to get that result, but the good part of it was to figure out together, like, let's make you, me, and someone else a team to, to get this done, moving... I don't know, we need to talk to the people in video to help us with animation. We need to to move here or need to go to another country to do an interview or whatever we need because the company was given that for us. So it was it was amazing. Yeah, uh, I just pulled it up. It starts with the origins of the Forbidden City, but it's just like, I don't even know how many parts, nine parts, I think, <laughs> about uh, yeah everything about the Forbidden City. So it is really more of a feature, like for people can almost experience or learn about the Forbidden City without uh, yeah going there. Yeah, yeah. The original idea was to have just three parts, but we collected so much material and the pages were having so much traffic that uh, we thought, well, maybe we can make chapters inside all these three parts. So we ended up with like 10 different articles and similar amount of pieces for print, but we did also adaptations for like smaller articles for social media, all this, uh, even stuff that we don't find a place to put on. We did another page like with the little things that when uh, forget in our project because it didn't fit in any of these plans for stories that we have. This one in particular that I remember very well, it was about how they, the women in the palace use the lipstick. So depending on the dynasty, they have like rules or how to do or what, what's considered pretty or not and it was changing depending on the of the era of influences from the outside of the empire so those things were like little capsules of curiosities that may not fit in the articles but at the end as a collection of curiosities work well as well that's cool. And I mean, looking at it, uh, most of the stuff has your name on it. Were you working with a larger team or was it mostly you? Well, when I was in Hong Kong, I used to work with two or three people. I was in charge of pulling all the pieces together, sometimes built up the pieces itself. Uh, the Palace Museum pieces, for instance, I did it all, all on my own. And they, they were like, as I said, three different parts. Each of the parts have chapters on it, but I was in charge of architecture and the beginnings of the city. So I did all, I did the reporting, I did the drawings, I did the modeling. I also experimented a little bit with a 3D model of one of the towers. See, there's a 3D feature in one of those stories that you can spin around inside and outside of the towers. So yeah, it was time for experimentation, for doing whatever you want, whatever you think. And that helped me a lot to learn. I say that I never stopped learning. It's always something new you can learn from 
not just new languages of coding, but maybe tricks for reporting or tricks for illustration or, or something nice you can do on video. So all these different influences are always coming and you can find the technology is, is evolving really fast. And our experience as graphics editors is try to fit whatever the story needs to be told visually in, an, in a new way. So maybe it requires just a simple doodle, simple sketchy thing, or maybe it requires a lot of coding, or maybe it requires a 3D model with a lot of details to know how sequences of events happen. It. So yeah, it's, it's very diverse and I, I, I liked it. It's something that keeps you awake is every day you, you go to the office or well, used to be in the office now we all <laughs> locked at home but without knowing how your day is going to be so it, it was I don't know that feeling that you have when you go the first time to the school the first day of school or, or the first day in the office it's always something new you may be a little bit scared but at the same time enthusiastic about whatever is coming today, whatever are uh, going to be surprised by something amazing, by something new, I don't know. Right, yeah, and that's a crazy amount of different things to know about, like, yeah, everything from 3D modeling to, yeah, art, basically, coding. So, yeah, and you were, so you were at uh, South China Morning Post for four years, you said? Is that right? Yeah, so about four years, yeah. And just uh, one last question on that Forbidden City thing. I mean, is that, did they say they wanted something about the Forbidden City or did you come up with it? Or it, it's such a like, you know, it's so broad in a way. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, well, most of the time, like 99% of the time, all the stories were because you run the, the research and, and you get with this idea, talk to the editors and make it happen. But sometimes, very rare occasions, like this, the Forbidden City was one of those, was because there was a particular interest for the management to do it. Like, I don't know, editors came out with a meeting. Back then, was a project in Hong Kong to build a museum of the Forbidden City in Hong Kong. So they were keen of exploring ideas in terms of that, that topic. And... Uh, we thought, well, maybe we can talk to people here and try to understand how the museum going to be at the end after construction, or, or maybe we can explore the roots of this. You know, even Hong Kong is a very open place. And there are a lot of people from everywhere. They also share roots and links with mainland China. So every topic like this, usually gets a lot of attention. The people there are really proud of this ancient culture background that they share with, with the rest. Especially if we talk about the south of China, like Canton area, or the, their cultural background is rich, but also the broader China as itself somehow it's still important for them so everything like it it was a success always 
So yeah, we thought, well, let's make it bigger then. Let's make this as big as we can. Let's do the research. Let's spend, we spent like a year collecting data and planning this out. And wow. Yeah, at the end, it wasn't like exclusive. We were uh, doing publications of other smaller topics and, and living your daily uh, duties, but at the same time, pulling this project that we have back there for a while. And yeah, it lasted for for a while, like not just get the online, but also the print stuff, social media, all that stuff took a long, long time. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's not a big surprise that, you know, it would be successful. People are very proud of Chinese culture there. And a lot of people, you know, even if they live in Hong Kong, going, you know, only a few generations back, almost everybody came from the mainland. I mean, it was a small fishing village that kind of exploded in a couple hundred years. It's very interesting, the mix of cultures. That's one of the, one of the things that I was very glad to have experience because when I moved from Costa Rica to Hong Kong, I thought it would be like just a bunch of Brits there and the Chinese in the other side. Uh, or I don't know, not a, such a blend of things. So even the same locals are in conflict with everything. Sometimes they love their origins, but also have some hard feelings about the situation. And I understand, I understand the the circumstances there. Sometimes they want to just move a little bit. Uh, things have been changing a lot in in Hong Kong since I left the country. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't like stop to be an interesting place to be. Right. Yeah. And out of curiosity, I mean, you, there were some really tumultuous years with like the umbrella movement and the even more intense protests in 2020, I think it was. Were, were you there for those? I mean, either of them? I was there. I was about to move to Reuters when the lightest government protests came in. And uh, I mean, my change to Reuters was to move a little bit more to breaking news or more newsy stuff. I used to do a lot of like uh, lifestyle or more soft topics uh, or history or culture topics. And my change to Reuters swapped also my regular days to more newsy stuff. So when I moved to Reuters, I was still in Hong Kong, and I moved to Reuters as a data visualization developer. But most of the time I had to do also my own reporting, my stuff. So one of those things that I had to do for Reuters was to cover the protests in the streets. So I was wearing all the protection equipment and running with cameras and doing all the stuff there. I was not meant to write down an article to report what's going on in the city or to take pictures for the new wire. I was there to find stories from different angle. Like, can we say how many people attended to this protest? Is it already important yet? Is the people in Hong Kong responding as some of the fashion say, or is not that much as the government says? how violent they went. Uh, I blend in, into the people that's kind of interesting to me because 
local reporters may have more difficult times to move in there. Many times the people didn't want to be caught by a camera because they may be afraid of the government taking repercussions on them. But with uh, foreign media, they were more open, like talk, how we organize this, what we gonna do, or look at this or look at that. So I found a couple stories there. I feel like the protests in Hong Kong were a big part of, of my professional life. Also give me a different perspective of the news. One of the things that I found was like protests there were not just a chaos of people marching in line or, or moving here and there. They have like a organization uh, behind them how they move things like provisions, water, defenses, uh, everything that they put in the front of the protest when they turn violent, it comes from the outside, but all that was moved by hand sign or gestures from a chain of people. So I noticed that from a footbridge, from above, and I saw lines of people sending water because there was uh, tear gas in the front so they sent bottles from the back to be able to wash the face of the people in front or sending umbrellas to repeal a little bit the, the advance of the police or just sending fences to make some kind of blockades in the streets to don't allow any of the vehicles coming through the people all those stuff I was able to see from, from above but then I got the opportunity to talk to the people in like protesters on the streets and learn how they do the planning, how they coordinate, how they pass uh, what it means a uh, hand uh, gesture or to know how to respond very quickly to certain, I don't know, when there's tear gas, what kind of stuff they, they need to pass on through the lines to move to the front. So I thought. That was something really interesting to do in a story for Reuters. And I, I put it together with my editor. They went to part of the coverage of the, of the Hong Kong protests. We did a lot of stories on protests uh, in Hong Kong. Actually, that year, we got a Pulitzer nomination for these stories. Oh, as, yeah. Wow. As part of the team. I wasn't, I wasn't like... The one in front with the name on it, but uh, but yeah, it, it was good because it was part of it, and I, I feel very proud of it because it was the first time that I have this shift from cultural or or soft news to more newsy, breaking news or more serious kind of news around. So that meant a, a big change for me. I learned a lot from it. So you. What year was it you moved from South China Morning Post to Reuters? That was 2019, I think. Yeah, I think it was just starting. And I was just going to ask, so if it was 2019, did they contact you or you applied because you wanted to get, you wanted to do more news? Uh, No, they contacted me because they had seen the work that we were doing in Hong Kong. And the team there was also expanding and they want someone like me to, to join the team. Yeah, I was, I was really lucky. I, I never 
well this this may sound like in a different way but I'm, I'm trying to be sincere I have never applied for, for a job there are always people contacting me people trying to to reach me out and, and making make me offers it was kind of similar situation as when I left Costa Rica they saw the stories that we were publishing in the South Channel Morning Post they liked it and they made me an offer to join the team but that would mean move from Hong Kong to Singapore just because the hub of graphics is based on Singapore or used to be I don't know if now it's the same situation but yeah it was again the same situation that I have in Costa Rica with my family they already have settled down in Hong Kong we felt like home over there and it was kind of tough situation my son was very young back then and he had to say goodbye to all his friends and start over again from zero so that made the things a little bit harder the decision wasn't easy I know it will be good for my career but I have to consider uh, not just me but my family as well but at the end we find a way to to make it and I stay a couple months in Hong Kong actually when the protest was happening and then uh, I moved to Singapore to join the graphics team for Southeast Asia in words cool and then I mean uh, I guess just Give me any of the highlights of your time in Singapore with Reuters. It must have been just a couple of years, probably mostly during the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, that, that was something <laughs> when, when we moved to Singapore, we were thinking, well, this is something that we can take advantage of because, uh, you know, Singapore is straight in the middle. It's a hub for traveling. We can go here and there. It will be very easy to move uh, to me. I don't know, Thailand, Indonesia, the Philippines, everywhere is nearby and it's very accessible, actually. But uh, we, we spent like, I don't know, a couple of months and then the, the pandemic happened. So our time in Singapore was mostly be at home all the time. <laughs> Quite the opposite that we thought it would be. But yeah, I have to say that even though it wasn't the same as we were planning, I have a really good time there. Uh, the company is great. And uh, I have to say that um, I learned a lot from Simon. Uh, Simon Scar is one of the more skillful people that I know in the industry. He is very smart and he managed to pull out the best on anyone uh, in any any field. So it was very good. It was a good time in Singapore as well. Cool. And yeah, this is when we came into contact because, yeah, I report a lot about environment in the Amazon rainforest. And we ended up doing a couple of different, at least two projects together, which, yeah, turned out incredible. I mean, at Reuters, it's such a huge organization. Like, and I, I don't even actually know how many graphics people they have, but you kind of like send off requests with like a prayer that like somebody will 
take this and, and do something with it. But one uh, one of the projects about like scientists in the Amazon, it turned out incredibly beautifully, you know, designed by you, and uh, it was it was yeah really impressive. And yeah, it's the type of piece that like I kind of have a vague idea, and you know, it really was. Uh, you coming in and, and seeing how, envisioning how it could be in, in a totally different way. That me as a text journalist, like, you know, like I said, I sent it off with a prayer because I have no idea how how you would begin to build something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, those are other projects. I mean, is there anything you want to highlight from that time that you did other than the Hong Kong protests? There were a lot of projects. Uh, I was always trying to pitch uh, ideas. Many times we have these really nice collaborations with uh, stories like the one we did it together. When you have support from someone else doing the text or getting pictures or, or getting some kind of information or data. But there were also times when you have the space to explore yourself and get something for the news that you found and developed yourself. One of those was the massive chunk of ice from the Antarctica. They were drifted from the peninsula and it was headed to South Georgia, this island outside of the Antarctica. We turned out to do uh, a lot of scale graphics, like look how massive it is, but this time was not just the size of the piece of the ice that was like, I don't know, bigger than many countries, but also the threat to the species around and how this was happening more and more often. So th that kind of reporting and develop these stories was also very interesting. That's the good thing of the big companies. Uh, being in small companies like the one in, in Costa Rica with just me and journalists or massive companies like Reuters or the New York Times, with, they have a lot of resources. So you, you have people to ask and learn about anything no matter how specific the topic is so we can find reporters that really know what's going on over there and they may want to talk to you or share some sources people places that you can contact so that was also really good experiences over there and yeah that that story of the glacier turned out to be very well because i got it right on time uh, then it was all over the news like the story of this iceberg and we got it a couple of days earlier so it was really good yeah yeah no i remember that iceberg so around the end of your time at reuters is when you win this uh, society for news designers award i mean they give out a lot of awards for individual projects and things like that but you also won for was it best designer which yeah is a pretty big deal is my understanding is that right like congrats first of all but uh i mean it's a huge deal right yeah thanks yeah well this it was completely unexpected this is recently new category that they this awards uh yeah they they give a lot of awards they they have like categories they give up like very few like gold medals and they have these special categories naming best publication, best newspaper on the war, or best designer on the war. And they have done it two times. 
and uh, this year was the second time that I did it and they gave me the award of best designer in the world. I don't know, the title may sound a little bit, I don't know, <laughs> I don't I don't consider that I'm <laughs> any farther than that. There's a lot of people doing great stuff and people that I really admire all my career has been learning from, from good people that I've been lucky to be next to a lot of names. Uh, so I don't think anyone on this field makes makes their way by their own. There's a lot of lucky and, and good people next to you. A mix of making the right questions or just lead the same thread somehow with curiosity. So this award, they announced it on, on March this year. I will be in DC in a couple of weeks to collect the award. But as I said, this was completely unexpected because this was given by the portfolio work on Reuters. And I got the award just when I was joining the Times. So I was already here in New York when I got the, the notification from the SND saying that I got this one of the main awards in their competition. So it feels a little bit weird because now I I am with a different team and I have done very few things with the times and I got this big award. <laughs> so yeah, completely unexpected. <laughs> I'm very grateful for, for it. And the comments from the judges were unbelievable. But yeah, I have to say that a lot of your portfolio is not just you. It's a lot of effort from editors, from people catching things and polishing after you get the ideas. So it's more than a single name. The award may have my name on it, but it implies a lot of work from many, many other people. Right, right. Yeah. The editors rarely get much credit, you know, and it, even if it says by one person at the top, it's never just uh, one yeah. person. Um but still, that, that's a huge deal. I was, yeah, I was going to ask if it played any role in you being recruited by the Times. So how, how did you end up at, at the Times? And uh, how did you feel about moving from Singapore to New York? Well, it was a great opportunity. Uh, when I got the offer uh, from the New York Times, I have to think a lot with my family, get the pros and cons, and consider that this was... Uh, good opportunity not just for me but for my family as well to experience a new city a new culture again so we took the decision in family I communicated my decision to my editor and um, they they tried to keep me on on Reuters and it was very moving for me because the team was become more than just uh, teammates it was sincere friendship around so it was it was a very hard decision I would say kind of similar as I did in Hong Kong there was good people around people that you made tied on on ties on more than just sitting next to you for the next day so yeah but at the end I thought that this was the best for my career something that I can take advantage of starting from scratch again with my family and move on from the wonderful times that we have in Southeast Asia. And yeah, when the times comes knocking, it's hard 
to say no to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, that, that also plays a role. Uh, but it's funny because sometimes you think, well, yeah, this is a big step for me. It's a big uh, change for my career. So it's a lot. But the name on the publication logo on your article also has a lot of weight on it. It's something that you, you feel the pressure. Maybe not because someone is telling you, do this or don't do that or we need to make a filter for this or it's not that kind of stuff it's maybe the pressure that you add on yourself saying like okay yeah now you have to achieve this level because readers and your boss may be expecting something way far than anything you have been doing until now so he has this pressure in placing on it But uh, there's only two ways to take that. Either enjoy it or die alone. Because <laughs> uh, you're never going to find like the perfect story where you don't have comments on, on social media or someone complaining because they're not agree with it. Or I mean, there's a lot of different. Uh, or more exposure you have, the more of that stuff comes in. Of course, you're always seeing the other side as well. There are many people sending comments or interacting with you on social media and saying that they really enjoy that or that thanks for, for doing this for us, our readers or whatever. But um, at the end, it's just you. Uh, it's just a single person. That's something that the people maybe not understand quite right. You are also human. Sometimes you do a mistake. And as a journalist, we have to be transparent admit that sometimes we did it in a rush or, or not with the appropriate process I don't know like that scrutiny while for me it makes me nervous it also like it, it forces you to up your game and you know a lot of journalists kind of you know respond to that sort of pressure and you know you need a little bit of pressure to kind of push yourself to be you know, that much better, that much better. Of course, yeah, of course, yeah. You need it, yeah. It's, it's, it's part of the requirements of, of your job. Otherwise, if you become too complacent, you may never do whatever you're supposed to do. Yeah. And then b before we move on to the next uh, section to talk about stories, is there anything else? You've only been at the New York Times for a few months. You told us a little bit about, like, what the day-to-day -day is. Is there anything else you want to add about uh, what the work is like there? It's a really, really interesting place. It's, it's a lot of people, a lot of big names on it. So you feel like this is a place where you can take advantage of so many things, like learn from the best and take all that on you. I don't know. It's both an inspiring place but also a little bit scary sometimes <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm the person that knows very little among all the team and discovering that, that you are there is kind of funny and scary at the same time because you don't know why they bother to invite you to this exclusive party. <laughs> I don't know. You can see it like, <laughs> like, like that. Yeah. 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 Well, that makes sense. But yeah, you'll figure it out. You're, you're only, yeah, what, six months in just about? Yeah. So yeah, that's not yeah. much time. Okay, great. Well, cool. 
I think that's all the questions for the biography section. So usually I ask two questions about stories. One of them is uh, about a story you're proud of and the story behind the story. We already talked about a few different stories, so I wasn't sure. I guess the, the other question is that I usually ask about stories is if there's a story that got away, a story you tried to do, which I realize there are lots of different stories that journalists try to do that don't come together. But just to highlight some of the difficulties in journalism, was there ever a story um, you wanted to do but couldn't for some reason? I love, I love, a lot of them. Yeah, that, that happened more often than I would like to admit. Actually, some of them <laughs> I, I like to just collect it and put it on my blog. I call it my info fails. <laughs> and those are, those are stories, the things that went wrong for some, some reasons. It's, it's very same as my job description. It's quite diverse. <laughs> so sometimes this happens because it's not the right time, the right timing for doing this. It maybe take too long to do the reporting and collect the data. And when you got everything, it's not news anymore. So you just need to give up. Or maybe you have all this ready, but there's not enough manpower to do it because there are more assignments or the other stories breaking up uh, at the same time. And that happens not just in Reuters, but everywhere. This year I have a pool of stories that I want to do and a lot of them just couldn't because the war was happening or because we have a hurricane or we have a lot of stuff. When you are tied up to breaking news, this is inevitable. It happens all the time. Right, yeah, yeah. And that's interesting. I didn't know you had this uh, info fails. Uh, I pulled it up just now. So maybe I'll throw up a link to that too. And, and that makes sense that, you know, there is a certain window to do this stuff. I think one of the first things that comes up on your site is about the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the chaos there and yeah I mean that was a story that was all consuming for I don't know a month but then you know when the world moves on it's kind of over and then yeah you have to turn to the next thing so yeah I'll put up a link to that as well for people to check out it's alright yeah you, you can I mean I mostly do it for myself because when I start an, a new idea I don't just take a sticky note and post it on the wall I like to collect data and even if take long hours, do some sketching and prepare like basic structure of a story that I can do later. So I ended up producing all this crazy amount of assets that I may or may not use. Sometimes it becomes a story, but most of the times just go into an arcade of things that never went public or in this case the blog <laughs> yeah okay cool so the next section is the lightning round so it's faster paced questions do you feel ready yeah cool great first up what is a publication something vaguely journalistic in nature that you read listen to or watch more for fun and less for your job yeah, I like I like the pudding. The pudding has this mixture of stories that could be anything. 
it could be the noise in, in Mexico City or it could be I like one of they did recently about an analysis of the Big Bang Theory uh, chapters broadcast in China so that kind of stuff is also somehow sometimes news sometimes don't but it's really nice to detach from breaking news from serious or bigger media somehow yeah that's a good one I, I've heard of the pudding but I have to check them out a bit more one, one other question I used to start this section with but it, it kind of is hit or miss, uh, is the opposite of that, one that's less for fun and one more directly related to your work. Uh, I'm just curious if there's any publication or it can be anything, social media account, whatever, related to graphics and design that you follow that is particularly good, if you want to shout out anything in particular. I tend to do my day like first getting the briefing of news and everything. So I like to hear all the time in the morning the BBC podcast, or the broadcast of the news. That's something that I like to start my mornings with. Then, of course, I have to catch up with the news in my own media. Uh, on graphics, I have a folder of bookmarks <laughs> that I regularly check. But the ones uh, more frequent looking are NASA's Earth Observatory. They have this blog with, it's not maybe daily, but I regularly check that out. It could be anything. It could be uh, pictures from satellites or it could be data analysis from remote sensing. So that, that's something I really like because sometimes also help me to understand if I am the right track of things maybe I'm planning a story and maybe I can find something related over there and if they post something I found like yeah and I'm in the right direction here yeah those are all good and yeah NASA does some great stuff and then I guess to get a bit more specific what is the best it can be article piece you know audio video text journalistic piece that you've consumed recently and the rule is usually it can't be from your own publication <laughs> I like one of the Washington Post they did on butterflies and it's basically the gardens how we are constructing our spaces in a way that sometimes not quite friendly with the bugs in general but also get all the all the benefits of, of your surroundings becoming like more natural environment. So it has some animations, some short text, it's fast reading, but diagrams and things, how you can improve your space and make it more friendly to the nature. So that's something I really enjoyed. Is there any particular subject matter not really related to your job that you geek out about outside of work? I like bugs and, and sketching things. I just started to do every Sunday when I have time, just random insects and bugs, uh, just for myself, sketching and release a little bit of stress doing illustrations. So there's 
a bunch of websites with collections from museums that have these books with these classic illustrations that I really enjoy to see. Is I would love to see it in person because you can see the even the color of the pages is this yellowish thing in the pages with these old illustrations. So yeah, that that kind of feeling about the old books and how they do it, it inspires you to do something quickly in a day and release your mind a bit from hard news, uh, the war and everything happening around. Sure, yeah, I love those types of drawings. I, I don't know if there's a name for them, but in Brazil, I mean, there's some exhibition I went to recently that had a lot of color drawings of, uh, you know, all the native flora and fauna in Brazil, you know, all displayed out on a huge wall. And it, but it's very old style. It's how people used to like document, you know, you go to a new place and you, you draw everything because you didn't have a camera. So yeah, it's pretty cool. But even if you have a good camera, even if you are like the specialist, there's something there's something on the manual process, the illustration is not I don't think the illustration should be like photorealistic. I know there's a lot of, of skills and a lot of talent to do it, but I feel like when you put your own your own signature, your own feeling, your own appreciation of this thing that I'm seeing, the interpretation is what gives this uh, sense of uniqueness, a sense of something really different from my environment seen by the eyes or by the hands of someone else's that's the beauty for me on it that's cool if you had to trade places with one journalist living or dead and you would have their career who would it be i don't know if this is uh, a good idea <laughs> or even though it's just <laughs> <laughs> that she's a journalist or so but I would like to see how Florence Nightingale did all his uh, graphics and research and the hospitals and all the environment that she was. I think when you have that kind of vision for something is, that is way ahead of, of the times, it must be something really unique around her or its life that can inspire you to do something different. Many times you look for inspiration in something new, but looking what the people have done in the past to find creative solutions, applying something else, a tool or a way of doing things from another discipline to your own problems, this is a great way of innovating. And push boundaries of something and many times also help the people around you. No, Florence Nightingale, I mean, it's a name I definitely know, but I guess I didn't realize that even if she wasn't a journalist, she was kind of a pioneer in graphics. For people who aren't familiar, she had used stat statistics to, to basically make graphics to illustrate public health problems mostly right yeah yeah problems problems and then make the people realize that something is is wrong something is happening around you you're not not seen but here's the proof have a look at 
I think that's many times what we're trying to do. We found this problem and we tried to show it to our readers and maybe we're struggling in a way to show them the evidence of this. So yeah, take something from another world and apply it to you for your own benefit explaining the story. Cool, yeah, that's a good one. And then what is one thing most people don't know about you? Uh, I think most of the people don't know that I don't have a formal education on journalism or coding or my background was just design and I learned it all on the way just because I met the right person at the right time. I'm very lucky. Probably that's the, that's the thing that makes the, the secret. I'm lucky. <laughs> right. You, you, knew, you knew the right things at the right time in the right places, but it all kind of snowballed and each step led to the next. I, I can definitely relate to that. What is the coolest or most unbelievable or most surreal situation your job has taken you to? This one, I just mean like a pinch me, I can't believe this is my life moment, something you were doing and you're like, I can't believe this is my job, to, that I get to do this. This happened very early on my career. I was just a new hire at La Nación in Costa Rica. The thing was, it was raining a lot in Costa Rica. Uh, it happened a landslide in, in a town near the mountains. It was very difficult to get there. Uh, photographers were struggling to get to the houses that were covered with landslide. And they have this idea. We can rent a helicopter to send people to see what happened there. So we're going to put a photographer, we're going to put a reporter, and we're going to put someone from graphics because the one who goes with the helicopter can bring something really exclusive for us in this story. And that sent me. It was a nice ride in the helicopter. It was my first time <laughs> riding a helicopter, but I couldn't see anything over there. I couldn't hear anyone. The pictures that I was using, it was taken by the photographer. I got a really modest sense of the location of the thing, but it's something that you were able to do on Google Earth. You don't need to take a helicopter to do it <laughs> but it was amazing it was like oh yeah this is the best day of my life because they sent me for it was just new hire you know it was just a couple of days to be there and they did this for me so i was like wow but it didn't help at all <laughs> and maybe well <laughs> on a more positive way i was once doing a story in the hospital a doctor was explaining to me how they this new process injecting some kind of contrast to see obstructions in the vessels and the heart so they bring me into the into the room with special equipment with the patient there and and I was able to see like the brain from the inside the heart all the vessels flowing so that that kind of stuff makes me feel like wow this is kind of access to the things that very few people have and I'm very lucky 
to be here, to be working on this, to be doing this. So that kind of contrast, a silly day in a helicopter or a very exclusive treatment in a hospital, uh, saving lives, that's the kind of thing that makes me think, wow, this is great to be dedicated my life to something like this. Yeah, that's very cool. It gives yeah an idea of the breadth of different things you get to do. And then the last question is, qualifications aside, if you couldn't be a journalist, if you had to give it up, um, but you could do whatever you wanted, regardless of ability, could be a basketball player, an astronaut, whatever, uh, what job would you do? Uh, yeah, astronaut for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I spend a lot of time... I spent a lot of time looking into satellites, satellite data, remote sensing, all this stuff. But uh, I get only like the end product. And many times I'm not able to understand it quite well. I'm very curious about it, but um, I would love to see it from above. Like the people putting all this together, making, making work, making the installments and just perspective or this marvel that we are living on that would be amazing of course it's just dreaming right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but that would be amazing to see the earth from above yeah especially if you could skip all the physical training and years of physics uh-huh. studying <laughs> to do it um, yeah yeah probably too old to do that yeah <laughs> eh, you never know you never know if uh, New York Times says you're the guy <laughs> we're putting on not the helicopter but the spaceship is that... <laughs> yeah it's happening again <laughs> yeah well, that's a good answer okay cool well uh, that's all the questions uh, this has been great is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up nah I just want to say thank you very much for having me here I had a really good time laughing and reminding all these stories Yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Marco. I appreciate it. That's our show. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Marco Hernandez, a graphics editor for The New York Times. I'll post links to some of the things that Marco talked about in the podcast description and also on our show page, foreignpod.podbean.com. If you like this episode of Foreign Correspondence, please subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts, and give it a rating. Beyond that, it would be a huge help if you also write a review saying what you think about the show. It helps get the podcast more attention. Follow or tweet at me on Twitter at at ForeignPod. On Facebook, our page is facebook.com slash ForeignPod. Above all, if you know someone who might like the podcast, please recommend it to them. The show is produced and edited by me. Our music is a track called Love Chances by Mackay Beats. There's more information on that in the podcast description and on our show page. Please look for the next episode to be posted on Sunday, December 5th. Until then, I'm Jake Spring, and this is Foreign Correspondence. Foreign Correspondence.